What's up? You're listening to the Electric Runway Podcast, where fashion meets technology. I'm your host, Amanda Costco. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've been taking note of the business side of fashion, there's no doubt you've caught wind of the retail apocalypse. Across North America, shops that have been around for what seems like forever are shuttering storefronts and filing for bankruptcy following years of declining sales. In fact, more stores closed in North America in 2017 than any year on record, according to a report by Fung Global Retail and Technology. Foot traffic has decreased, and increasingly, merchants are losing out to online giants like Amazon. But it's not all doom and gloom. Retail is definitely in a time of transition, and in order for the future of retail to emerge, we have to let the old model die. Today on the show, we're speaking with someone who believes in a bright future for the in-store experience, but it's not just business as we know it. Digital innovations must be leveraged to empower in-store associates and serve the constantly connected consumer. Because after all, I don't shop the way my mother shops or the way my grandmother shopped. Scott Adele is the Vice President of Retail Experience at Tulip Retail. For those who don't know, Tulip is a platform built exclusively for next-generation retail store associates to offer world-class omni-channel experiences. The app provides services such as checkout, clienteling, fulfillment, and much more with the aim to really unify the back end of what otherwise is the messy side of retail. So here to talk shop with us is Scott Adele of Tulip Retail. So, Scott, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So, for those who don't know, who are you and what is Tulip Retail? Well, my name is Scott Adell, and I'm the Vice President of what we call Retail Excellence at uh, Tulip Retail. And Tulip is a... We're an associate enablement company, I guess is the best way to put what we do. We're a technology company that has a fundamental application structure in the cloud that allows us to engage customers and associates in really unique ways. So our company has been around for about four years. And really, we go after a couple main pain points, right, in and around sort of what we see in retail and help retailers and our partners kind of evolve their experience in a store. My specific team at the company, we work on the operational deployments, right, of our technology and really help the retailers understand the change management of bringing technology in a space and helping their associates kind of work with customers in a unique way and, and being a little bit different in their experience. And so how big is your team and where are you based? So we're about 145 people. We're based in uh, a few cities. So we're in Kitchener-Waterloo is where the company was actually born. We now have an office down at uh, One York, which is the Sun Life building in Toronto. And we've just opened a UK office actually in London, England. We're heavily engineer-based. We're about 60% of that that workforce is engineers because of the complexities of sort of working with some really big retail clients and the integrations within our product are a little more specific. We use that tech or that, I guess, workforce to keep driving our technology to, to change. And so we were chatting a little bit about this before we started recording. My first introduction to Tulip was, of course, when I wrote a story uh, for BetaKit on how Frank and Oak was leveraging Tulip to empower in-store associates to really understand their customer, understand more about inventory. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about what kinds of retailers are using Tulip? Yeah, for sure. Frank and Oak's a great example. I have a little bit of a close relationship there. I used to be the vice president of Omnichannel for that particular company. There's a lot of retailers using us now. I think we're, we have a pretty good Rolodex of some of the largest fashion brands in the world. So we work with the likes of Chanel, 
Michael Coors, Coach, Kate Spade. And we really go after kind of that premium luxury market. And the reason why we've sort of, you know, grown in that space is one of our uh, premier products is, is really clienteling. So we really understand the the customer that those brands have and what they want to what they want to purchase, how they want to engage, and how that that brand itself wants to speak to that customer. So clientele is really about sort of the back and forth communication components and outreaching the way they want to outreach. So as we understand it, there are more than 7,000 store closings in 2017 in the USA. With so much moving to online, what's the purpose of focusing on the in-store customer experience? Yeah. So I think the fodder there is a little bit as retail dying, right? With all the, the closing of stores. You know, here's here's how I look at this. I think the retail experience itself is changing. So the landscape overall has really evolved over the last five to 10 years. 10 years ago, you wouldn't even think about buying a car on an application. You would have to go to a store, test drive it, put it out there, right? You know, you wouldn't think about buying your groceries and having them delivered to your home. You wouldn't think about being able to, you know, engage with something that's not technically there, but view it on your own body, right? So the the experience itself is really driving this change in the landscape. What we're seeing with a lot of these closings or what I've seen with a lot of the closings is the formula is fairly simple. The brand's that are taking too much time to innovate or to talk to their customer or understand where their customer's going are the ones that are not learning or taking the opportunity to learn from those physical spaces and generate opportunity from them. There's, you know, five kind of four or five kind of main things of how you want to go to market now. And again, this is sort of the experience side of what makes something really, really good or a brand really, really sticky and where we have retailers growing, right? And adding stores. With the you know convergence of sort of mobile, e-com, and physical store, the trifecta of all three is really, really powerful. If you can get a customer moving across all three channels, you're looking at a five-time lifetime value on that customer compared to what's in one single channel, right? The winners focus on any channel, not as channels anymore, which was the way it used to be. Distribute one place, focus on your sales at one place, grow a P&L. The winners are thinking about channels as brand access points. So how do I actually consume a brand? How do I engage with the brand, right? Because the consumer's path to, to purchase is dramatically different, right? You don't just shop in one channel. You could bounce into a channel from Instagram, from Snapchat, from WeChat. You could go in and see it on TV, you know, the audio from your TV could trigger, you know, ads could then force you to kind of look at something. So that's all kind of changed, right? So the best retailers are understanding that regardless where you are, the brand access point. So make the experience within the brands synonymous or sort of the same. You know, the second piece to it is really around uh, selection, right? So you're able to actually see within those consumable points of brand, what do you got and show everything, right? So where is it? Do you have it? Do I have the ability to get it to me? Right. So all of that kind of piece selection is really key. So I want to consume your brand, but what's available? You know, the third piece is really convenience, right? And that's around, can I actually consume it the way I want to? So can you get it to me? Can I go pick it up? Can do you ship it from a store, from a warehouse? Can I return it in any one of those channels? It shouldn't matter. Right. I just want to want to consume it the way I want to consume it. And the fourth is really shareability, which, you know, has changed a lot too, even the last two years, right? From now sponsored posts being, you know, have to be identified on on Instagram to things like that. The the micro influencer is driving a lot of localized community, which then drives back to that store and you can see kind of the cycle, right? 
I think the fifth one, which a lot of people aren't, aren't seeing, which is a really neat one to kind of, I think, go after, because we have this sort of cycle grown now through all of these channels, I think Me Too is going to become a really, 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 or not Me Too, that's probably the wrong word. Me first is probably a better way to put it, is going to become sort of the next, the fifth kind of component of that is how do I build exclusivity how do you understand as a brand, I am your most important customer. You should be talking to me a little bit differently. How can I consume or get brand access before somebody else because of who I am, what I do, and how much I love you, right? So that kind of drives out of that shareability component. The best brands in the world when you look at that are winning time and time again through that strategy. So you look at, at brands like Michael Coors, you look at brands like Tesla, you look at brands like Sephora, Right, where they're dabbling in technology, but not just for technology's sake. They're actually changing the experience to drive those four or five things in that order to kind of make their business more successful. So it's less about back to the original question, which stores are closing, you know, what's changing? Empowering your associate in a physical store, empowering your CRM group, you know, on the you know support desk side, empowering anybody that touches your brand to kind of think along that customer journey. And give your customer control of their purchase are the ones that win. Yeah. And I think also with the rise of digital, we're seeing customers become experts in brands, right? Like if I love a brand, I'm going to look at everything in store. And when I finally do go to the physical retail store, I might know more than the store associate. Unless, of course, they're armed with tulip retail, then they're going to know about me as well. So I think that's definitely a major change from a consumer standpoint that I've seen. So... You know, with all that's changed with digital, how do you feel the role of the store associate has changed over the last, let's say, five years? Yeah. So I think with the stores changing to guide shops or changing to experience centers or changing to, you know, access points for this brand, the retail associate themselves, and you just said it, right, have to be empowered more with more knowledge, right? So our our research says that 83% of customers that walk in the store feel like they know more than the associate right off the bat. I'm sure you have many examples where you've walked into a store, you wanted to buy something specific and you ask the person where it is or do you have it and the person looks at you with you know, clouded eyes and I, I don't know, I got to go talk to somebody, I'm not too sure. Right away, it's a negative experience, right? So empowering the associate is really about first knowledge, right? The ability to give them the most knowledge around the product or access to the knowledge around the product to break down that barrier immediately of you don't know what you're talking about. We see that customers that work shoulder to shoulder with an associate are almost seven times more likely to purchase than ones that just do their own thing, right? And that's because you can support that customer on their journey, find out a little bit more about them, why they're there, is there a problem you're looking to solve, and kind of go after that, that model. So empowering your associates, the be- again, the best retail brands or the best store experiences are usually people that are there not trying to sell you something, really they're trying to solve your problem, right? Or what did you see? And oh yeah, no, you're told we have that online. They're empowered with with information to solve that, right? So that I think is the store associate in the future. Some stores don't sell anything. We have a, a customer in our deck like Bonobos, for example, who have no inventory in their store. It's all sizing, right? So trying your one piece, you love it, great, we'll send it to your house. You know, when they deployed Tulip for the first time, their biggest problem was they had associates behind a cash desk. And we talked a little bit about you growing up in a, in a tailored, you know, kind of in a fashion environment and, and I myself as well. The minute you put a barrier between you and a customer is immediate, immediate uh, feel of transaction, right? It's someone's trying to sell me something. 
Bonobos went in with a theory, if we could break down that counter and get rid of it and put it on the mobile, like put mobile in their hands, what could happen? So we did that test for them. We did an A-B test of sort of, you know, uh, cash desk versus mobile. And they saw in the first 30 days in an A-B test, stores that had stores that didn't, saw a 12.6% increase in their average order value of their basket. And like a 5% increase in their units per transaction. So then you extrapolate that. You think, okay, well, that doesn't sound too big. 5%. Like what's 5%? Extrapolate that across the volume of a retail chain. And automatically, you can see huge benefit, right? So when we talk about, you know, investing in technology, you can invest in magic mirrors and, and beacons and all these things. Or you can invest in something that's practically going to move the needle specifically for that associate and then celebrate that associate success with the tool to make them want to sell more, right? That's, I think, the power of kind of mobile in the experience. And that's what I think if we can empower associates to start thinking that way, more retailers are going to win and we're going to see more experience, more experiences in physical spaces that align with sort of a customer's need. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll never forget the time. It was recent and I went to a department store. I won't say which one, but I wanted to purchase this Carl Lagerfeld skirt and they didn't have my size. And... I asked, you know, do you have it in my size and perhaps one of your other stores? And the lady hand wrote on a piece of paper the phone numbers to the six other stores and said, well, you can call them and ask them if they have it in your size. <laughs> and here I am thinking from a customer standpoint, I'm trying to give you my money. I'm trying to get the item that I want in my size and then get out of here. And there was just no access to inventory and no way of her accessing that. And then she turned around and I looked at her computer, her point of sale, and it was like DOS-based. And this was recently. So just to give listeners a sense of like how behind some of these retailers are so they can understand how innovative something like Tulip is. Can you talk for a moment about the current features on Tulip that would make you know that experience that I just described kind of impossible? <laughs> sure. That's not uncommon, that story, right? Where we're, we see the luxury of my team is we get to go in and see a whole bunch of retailers across the globe. We do a lot of research, mystery shops, things like that in around that context. I probably could guess the retailer, but I won't. But here's the thing. So what, what Tulip does and how we empower, we go after exactly what you just said, small pain points to make that experience kind of change, right? And if we go back to even what I just said around those five things, right? You were stuck in selection. So the brand access got you in. You had this great consumable experience. And then you went to try and engage with selection and it wasn't there. So immediately it's a negative experience for you, right? So what we do, we go after kind of five or six modules in a store, right? Number one is what we call assisted selling, which is the ability to take that online experience and bring it back in the store. So your digital catalog exposed to the associate with the ability to transact or do an online transaction in the store. So you never really have to say no. So that shows you the inventory that shows you all of those things, right? So where is it? Where can I consume it? And we solve that kind of friction point, right? So let's assume in your example, you had access to that inventory. She could see it at that next store. There's really no need to call anymore, right? So let's take it one step further. Why don't we actually hold that at the next store for you or purchase it where you are and you can just go pick it up, right? So the other one, other one of the other modules that we go after is fulfillment, right? Which is the ability to pick and pack at stores or take orders like that and isolate them and have them ready for you. So whether that ship from store, ship to store, we sort of play in that box as well. We have another product which is called Runner. So let's go back again to your example. Maybe they did have it, but it wasn't on the floor. And what would usually happen in that example? A customer or the associate would be like, let me run to the back and get it for you, right? 
15 minutes goes by, you don't know where that customer or that associate is. Maybe they've gone on break. Maybe they've lost you. Maybe you've browsed a little bit around the store because you got bored. We have another product we call Runner, which is the ability to actually touch a button on that product, transmit that to somebody else within the store on a wearable, identify that they can pick it, and then using push notification back to the device, communicate to the associate and the customer where they are. So that allows that associate to continue to work with you, sell with you with about, you know, without having them run away, which is amazing, right? And just that little bit of interaction makes it feel like you're that much more special, right? So we have, we have that. We have clienteling, which is what we're really known for. And clienteling is really the back and forth communication, as I mentioned earlier, of how we communicate with a customer. So some of our best fashion customers specifically use, a, which you probably are aware of, like a 222 rule. Two days, two weeks, two months, right? To outreach to their customers. And the outreach isn't about selling them anything. It's really about building a relationship. So we give them a mechanism, whether that be through WeChat, Instagram, Facebook, text, email, a mechanism to kind of move that communication back and forth and then allow the retailer to hold all that information because it passes through our cloud. So that if you were to leave tomorrow as an associate, you don't take your customers with you. With that, we can also drive what we call follow-ups. So we have a module where we can uh, automate tasks to do. So when you open up, you come in for your shift, you open up your iPad and you see the seven things that you need to do today. Contact these three customers for this reason because you're at this point of, of life or they had an event and you really start, it's a kind of a relationship support function for you, right? Does that make sense? So we have that, we have mobile POS. So the ability to check out or line bust, you know, in your business. Indigo is a great example for us. From that last year, we, we did all of their line busting in their in their major centers which was was phenomenal for them and gave them their biggest quarter one of the biggest reasons for for hitting their christmas and, and having their biggest best christmas ever last year and then the last piece is let's go fulfillment runner clientele assisted selling mobile pos so you know in essence what we do is if you think about everything that we sort of just described or everything i did describe most of those things are specific to an associate and a customer engagement, right? We call this internally, into the, we call this the digital divide, right? That digitization on the customer side or on the brand access side has created friction for the associate. So what we're doing is balancing the control, right? Balancing that, in, using information to balance the relationship to allow kind of a 1940s experience where maybe you knew somebody or you felt like somebody knew you better to bring that back into sort of 2000 and utilize technology to kind of make it better. Fantastic. And as I understand it, you're working on upcoming features as well that aren't released yet. Can you talk a little bit about those? Sure. I don't want to give too much away because, you know, that's part of what we do. Fulfillment I touched a little bit on, which is really, you know, getting into the supply chain piece. But ultimately, you know, if I have to say what we're working on, Tulip really wants to move towards this owning the store, if I put it put it in a, in a, in a context, which really is all of the components of where an associate or retailer, associate or a customer will engage. We really want to own all those touch points. So whether that's, you know, in-store logistics, whether that's POS, whether that's clientele, or assisted selling, we don't want to be necessarily one point of truth. We want to utilize partnerships to allow us to engage mirrors or other technologies. But essentially what we are building and what we have built is this foundational platform in the cloud, which allows us to integrate with some of the best things. You know, we've just announced an integration with Salesforce. So we have connectors to Salesforce. We have a certified connector to Hybris. You know, we're working on many other connectors in and around some of the 
the key CRMs or ERPs that are in the world. And then with our client base, we've we've developed code and integrations with 90% of the legacy systems that exist there in retail today. So by doing that, what we've done is we've empowered retailers to move up, you know, their technology roadmaps. So kind of become more relevant quicker. And then by working with these customers, we're able to actually elongate our future roadmap and say, okay, what are we going to work on? What we do know as a company is that we're only going to work on things that make a difference to that associate and that that customer. We're not going to go off into a full tangent and remake the wheel. We don't think there's a lot of efficiency or, or logic in that move. So we really want to go after those pain points and be uh, synonymous with if someone says you're going to outreach to a customer, you're probably going to use Tulip. And so for listeners who are hearing you and saying, this sounds great, this is the solution I'm looking for, and they want to get started with Tulip, they can obviously head to the website. What is the kind of cost in terms of financially, but then also the time that it takes to get started? Yeah. So I think if retailers are thinking of putting in something like this, one of the biggest things they have to to look at internally before they even engage on this journey is this is really more about change management than it is about technology. So if you're a legacy retailer or even a, a new emerging retailer and you're trying to figure out how does this retail thing work, technology like ours is really about changing how you go to retail, right? how you go to market and helping your associates kind of understand that component. And then we're a support in and along that, right? From a cost perspective, that opens up a lot of different angles. We had to look at the business, you know, in a few different ways, right? We have small startups or, you know, people that are maybe not not too large, 20 stores or 30 stores, and they're looking just at that breakout. They've hit their Series C and they want to go big. So we have a model of business that will go out and say, okay, if you want to do a proof of concept, use some of Tulip's features, call it the best ones. And try it for seven or eight months, we can get you up and running in about 30 days, right? Connect with Salesforce, drop in your account, pull it up, and we'll show you how to use it. You know, then we have this enterprise architecture, which allows us to actually do bigger deals for some of the larger organizations in the world. And that's more of integrations with legacy systems. It's a real reformat of how they they look at their IT structure and moving something to the cloud. So that that's a little bit harder, right? So there's a little bit more work involved. So the cost goes up a little bit. But ultimately, the payback, as we kind of talked about some of those numbers, they, they pay back very quickly. A solution like ours is not overly expensive on a per store basis. The overall model is really structured around number of stores, number of modules. So if you take assisted selling, you have 40 stores, it's X. If you take assisted selling, you have 5,000 stores, it's a little bit differently. And that's, that's scaling cost to technology, right? Servers, so on and so forth, support, et cetera. And then we have this, this unlimited model, which um, we've started deploying and working with certain customers on, where we have the opportunity, to, and that's kind of best in class, top of scale, where we really go after sort of an innovation partnership. So we work with them not to build custom product, but to take our platform and you know stretch it to sort of its extreme and then look at different ways that they may want to drop in a new piece of technology that they're really really you know focused on and find a way to kind of ingrade that within Tulip and then we'll measure that and potentially bring that back into product or keep that with them you know through perpetuity so we kind of have those three sort of scales so you know when you look at something like this a lot of people think it's unaffordable you know i think when you look at the overall overall cost of what we do on a per store basis it's a couple extra shirts a month. It's not that bad. That's good to know. So we've heard so much about the store of the future lately. And, you know, as we touched on earlier, this has a lot to do with like magic mirrors and this, you know, buzzy technology. But so much about retail innovation is about changing the, you know, store associate customer experience and then also changing that back end of how 
those operations work so that they can be more seamless, less friction. So how do you see Tulip fitting into this future retail experience? So I think the store of the future is really going to be centered around, I think a lot of people have said this, but in a meaningful way, it's really going to be centered around data, right? So you have this physical point, which is probably one of the largest cost centers of what you have from a retail component, right? You have labor and rent, they're your two biggest expenses to your to your GA. How do we make that more profitable and, and what do we what can we do? You're going to see you know, bigger brands opening smaller stores, learning about smaller communities, using those data touch points around experience to have a customer, you know, connect with the brand and again, give permission to connect to the brand to get something really cool. And in most cases, it's an experience or, or an outreach. You're going to see the store of the future kind of move that way, have this blend of, of real stuff and not real stuff, right? As I said earlier, they're becoming showrooms, right? They're becoming experience centers. You, you look at Story as a great example of experiential retail, right? Let's take the marketing, you know, the, the whole marketing engine, and let's flip it on its head and say we're going to open a store and potentially not charge anybody anything but learn a lot about them. And a retailer or a brand is going to pay Story to open up this experience to help learn about their customer, right? I think you're going to see that. The experience is going to be about learning and a trade-off of information to, to learn. And then from that learning, produce better products and more specific products, you know, to what they're doing. Nike just announced, you know, this community store where they're going to, you know, uh, curate assortment and curate the experience specifically to that localized community. So we're starting to see that kind of happen. What that looks like in three or four years I honestly can't tell you because technology is moving so fast, like so fast. It's even hard for a company like us to keep up. You know, I said our profile looks like it's it's 60% engineer, right? The reason, one of the biggest reasons it's there is because it moves, technology moves so fast. There's new stuff coming in every day. We have to be able to, to keep up with it. So build versus buy is a big option or a big conversation around, you know, our type of platforms and specifically in fashion. This doesn't seem too hard. Maybe I'll build it. Well, I'll tell any fashion retailer, any retailer that's listening to the podcast, that if you believe that you can build it faster, and it's not a, a competition with us per se, but if you can build it faster and better than anybody else in the market, probably true for the immediate right now, can you sustain it, evolve it, and innovate it at the pace of market? I would challenge unless you create your own company within your company, it'd be very difficult to do. I think retail is going to go through this cycle of we were mass. You have mass guys now building smaller stores, smaller stores to get into more specific communities, more specific communities to learn about you know, uh, consumption in those communities, and then take that knowledge and push it back through. Amazon's done that very well from an e-commerce standpoint. Their physical stores, I had the luxury, I was in Seattle last uh, about two weeks ago to do Amazon Go, to do uh, Fresh, right, the pickup. So see a couple of these new experiences where retail is about th – those retail experiences are about convenience and efficiency. So just a couple more questions before I let you go. Currently, your executive team and board are all men. Given that retail and fashion are you know, such female-dominated fields, are you looking to add a female perspective to your team at any point? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And we at Tulip, one of our core pillars of the organization is really diversity and and you know, Ali has put a lot of energy in and around sort of making sure that that's important. And, and you're absolutely right. I think about four months ago, you would look at our board and you go, oh my gosh, it's a, it's a whole bunch of men. Most recently, we've actually made a lot of adjustments. So we've just hired, uh, she started about three weeks ago, a new CRO, chief revenue officer. She came from IBM. Uh, her name is uh, Deborah Surrett. 
So she's now part of our executive team, liaises with the board. We also just took a, round, a small round of funding from uh, Salesforce, actually. And we've had the ability to bring in Shelly Branston, who's their head of retail, uh, to be an advisor to our board, to actually have a little bit more flavor in and around those discussions and make sure we're diverse. You know, internally from our leadership team perspective, maybe not in our executive, but in our leadership, you know, our, uh, our person, our director of customer success is also a female. Our head of HR is a female. So internally, we actually have a lot of women perspective where we're growing that that piece. Is there more work to be done? Absolutely. I don't think there's anyone can ever take a break from looking at diversity. But, you know, we, we're one of the, the first tech companies in Toronto to also have a diversity manager. Uh, which we we have someone on staff that's whole role is through a hiring process that we make sure that we stay unbiased and that we focus on not only just gender diversity, but neurodiversity as well as, you know, cultural diversity. So we really do believe in that as a company. And, it's, you know, with my experience, I've been in retail for 25 years and the tech space for probably five or six. This is the best probably deployment of a strategy that's not just we need a count of numbers or we got to make sure that we really, you know, focus in on it and ensure that we have the right mindsets as well as, you know, the right representation. Great. And what's next for Tulip? Uh, so many things that I can't talk about because, you know, of course, our competition is going to be listening to the to the podcast. For Tulip itself, I think what you're going to see over the next year is, you know, explosive growth. Over the summer, we've spent a lot of time, you know, working with our teams, redeveloping and redeploying how we go to market, specifically around our product stack, as well as how we engineer sort of, well, not sort of, engineer the deployments of these particular pieces. You know, some of the big wins we have are deployment NPS scores with our customers, some of the highest in industry post-training. Our training scores are upwards of 60, 62 NPS industry standards about 20. So our deployments are, are getting stronger. Our customer base is getting deeper. And the people that we have in the pipe, as you see sort of them deploy through holiday, it's going to be really clear that Tulip will be the leader in the space and they'll be the ones to be looking for for innovation. Great. And how can people follow you and stay in touch? So like everywhere or everyone, I guess, in the space, we all have, you know, a Twitter handle, right? At Tulip Retail or hashtag Tulip Retail. We're also on Instagram. So you can look us up there again with the Tulip Retail handle. And uh, I think probably one of our best best channels, even for the thought leadership and some of our content is really our website is tulip.com. So you'll go in, take a look. We have a lot of case studies out there. We have a lot of white papers on innovation. You know, people can can track any of our executive from there. We all have our handles on there. But you'll see us a lot in the market. We do a lot of neat thought leadership pieces with Apple uh, specifically because we're a partner of theirs. So yeah, I think that's probably the best way. So tulip.com, LinkedIn, and Instagram and Twitter. We'll put links up on Electric Runway so that our audience can take a look. Scott, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. That was my conversation with Scott Adele, the Vice President of Retail Experience at Tulip Retail. It was such a pleasure speaking with Scott and jamming out on ideas about the store of the future and the customer of tomorrow, topics that are not only very timely, but also very close to our heart at Electric Runway. For images and further reading to accompany this episode, we invite you to visit electricrunway.com and click on podcasts. That's where you'll also find all past and future episodes of the program. If you haven't already subscribed, we invite you to do so on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Next week, we're off to the Philippines to speak at Style Fest PH, a first-of-its-kind event in Manila celebrating business, 
style and how digital innovations connect to advancing the Filipino fashion and beauty scene. I'm going to be keynoting on stage, sharing my research on the seven technological innovations shaping the future of fashion. We'll be bringing you lots of content from that trip, so be sure to follow along. You can find us on the socials at electric underscore runway. That's it for today's episode. Until next time, here's looking towards the future.